Lifestyle of Prayer. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 3. Father, we thank you once again for the, for the entrance of your word. Again, Father, you said that the entrance of your word brings light. It brings understanding. It brings understanding to the simple. So again, Lord, as we continue to look at this whole thing called prayer, would you please help us, Father, to go a little further as we follow these things out, that we might learn how to commune with you and that we might learn some of the principles, Father, that are in your holy word. So we trust you for this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. All right, this is hour number three on lifestyle of prayer. And we're going to start at the top of page six, which is actually lesson two, because this is where we left off in the last time. Lesson number two. Now, what this is called is seven steps to answered prayer. And as I I think I shared when we began last week, this course is intended to lay down the basics. It's not intended to go into the deep things of intercessory prayer, spiritual warfare, what have you. So while some of these things may seem to be rather fundamental to some of you, they're still nevertheless very important to go back to over and over again. And actually, these, uh, these seven principles of prayer are something that I adapted from uh, Joy Dawson's work many, many years ago. Joy Dawson is a woman very, very strongly known for her life of prayer in America. Her son is John Dawson, our friend John Dawson, who's the president of YWAM. And Joy's been around forever. Joy's the one who taught Dr. Cole, my spiritual father, about intercession. And she had these little seven simple principles, but they're very simple but very good. And it's like a checklist uh, for any of us. But let me start again by saying from what I said last week. We went over scriptures last week, remember, in the very first session that simply showed how often God's Word said to call upon Him, right? Remember? And again, as I was trying to communicate last week, we need to even consider just that, the simplicity of that. If we actually are approaching this God, and if we're approaching this Word, and we actually believe that He is, now remember Hebrews eleven six, it says that he that cometh to God must believe that He is. Okay, now, again, it's so basic, but in other words... We must believe that if He asks us to call upon Him, <laughs> that He's willing to answer us. Otherwise, why again would there be just so much Scripture, so many verses throughout all the Bible that speak to us about calling upon Him? And uh, like I said, there's different rules for different kinds of prayer and what have you, but the fact of the matter is somewhere in the deepest part of your spirit, you must make the decision to believe that God is a good God and that He is your heavenly Father and that He does want to show Himself alive to you. He most definitely wants to show Himself alive to you. But again, it's like uh, the gentleman, like I said, who called upon the Lord and the angel came to him and said again, remember, he said, I think it's Jacob that said, the angel said, from the first moment you prayed, remember, from the first moment you prayed, your words were heard in heaven. But I, he said, the angel said, I was withstood. Gabriel said, I was withstood by the prince of Persia. And he said, until others came to help, and then I was able to come. But now I've come in response. He said, I've come in response to your words. 
But that again is this classic picture of how the, the Bible speaks of three heavens, a third heaven. Paul said he was caught up into the third heavens of how there's God in this atmosphere and there's us down here in this earth plane, but evidently there's another plane that's kind of like in between. There's God, there's this, and there's us. And somewhere in between, none of us know for sure because we won't know until we get to heaven, will we? But nevertheless, the scripture speaks about these things. It speaks about the king of Tyre, then the prince of Tyre. In other words, that there were spirit beings that were over physical places and spirit beings held authority over these things. And so I'm saying all that simply to say that we do have, there is something that happens in the atmosphere above our heads that somehow either slows down or, you know, the responses to our prayers or if we know what to do, we can cause those forces to be backed off so that we can get... The Bible says ready answers to prayer. It speaks about husbands and wives, and it speaks about how husbands need to know how to be before their wives so that they can have ready answers to prayer. And, that, and again, remember Deuteronomy from last week as well. Part of the major testimony that we as God's people are to carry is that God's Word said back there in Deuteronomy that when we obey His commandments, that it is going to cause the rest of the world to look upon us and say, who is such a wise people as this, who have a God so wise as this to give such commandments as this? But then it says, and who have a God that is so near unto them when they call upon him. Now that is in the book, isn't it? And it says categorically, this is to be the testimony. Who are these people who have a God that is so near to them as these people are with their God that when they call upon him, he shows up. So I just really want to keep pounding that as we start out on this basic thing. God is a God who answers prayer. Don't ever doubt that. Just because he doesn't come in your time frame and do something, it does not mean that God's not up there with a passion, with the fire. The Bible says he's a fire from the loins up and from the loins down. That he's got this fire upon him and his depth of his love. Now, remember when we taught on the love walk and the grace of God, and like we spoke about even Psalm 23, remember? Do you remember when I shared from Psalm 23? It says the, the very famous Psalm, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. But remember the last verse of Psalm 23 is that surely, surely goodness and mercy shall... Follow me. Remember that? Follow me all the days of my life. And the word follow there, like I said, I think it's so important to get word pictures. The word follow is this Hebrew word radap. And it doesn't mean to follow. And I gave you the illustration in that other course about when we hear the word follow, you kind of see a picture of a little dog kind of walking behind a lady as she walks down the street. And this dog is following her. So you read the scripture and it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But the word goodness and the word mercy speaks of all God's covenant promises. But the word redab does not mean to follow with some simple little puppy-like thing. It, the word means to aggressively pursue with the intent to overtake and kill. <laughs> because it's a word that comes from a war situation. It's a military frame. But the point is, God's not following. God's in hot pursuit of us. I mean, the Bible says, think about all those verses that we've quoted all of our Christian experience. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth. 
looking for someone that he can show himself strong toward. Is that, is that right? You, you know that verse, remember? But think about that. So you've got to get a fresh picture. God's not up there kind of sitting back like this with his arms folded, kind of going, <sighs> you know, there's nothing much to do today or something like that. Now his eyes right now, right now, see, you have to meditate on these things. Think about the fact that your, your God and my God, right now, his eyes are racing to and fro throughout the entire planet Earth. He's searching for somebody that he can show himself strong to. Now, is that in the book? It is in the book, isn't it? And it's the truth. And this is why you just have to understand that when we don't get quick and ready answers to prayer, there's something in the way. What I'm wanting to say as we start out today, tonight is I, I just want somehow you to not doubt God's willingness to show himself alive to you, okay? So with that, we're going to look at these seven steps to answered prayer. Step number one is really simple. Now, again, because they're so simple, don't just turn off on me, okay? Number one is decide what you want from God. And Joshua 1.8 is the first verse we'll look at. And I'd, even though you can probably quote it, we're going to go back in the Bible and look at these verses. Most of us can quote them. But look at, uh, let's find Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Probably read a few just before it and after it. Joshua has a hard act to follow here, if you remember. Joshua's taking over the shoes of Moses after Moses is dead, has died. And here God begins to speak to Joshua after the death of Moses. In verse 2, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. So now arise and take his place and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land which I'm giving to them, the Israelites. And he promises Moses, or rather Joshua, the very same thing that he promised Moses. He said, Every place upon which the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given to you just like I promised Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon to the great river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites and to the great Mediterranean Sea. Verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong, and this is what I want you to be, be strong and be confident and of good courage, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now in verse 7, he repeats himself again about this be strong matter. He said, only be strong, you be strong and very courageous, that you may do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go." So in these first few verses, God tells him, I'm going to be with you. That's not the issue. So, I mean, I want you to hear this too. God's name is Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? Right? So he said he would never leave us nor forsake us. That's what Hebrews tells us as well. And again, it's an incredible verse in the Amplified. It says, I will not, I will not, three times it says it. I will not, I will not, I will not in any way leave you helpless or without support, assuredly not. That's what it says in Hebrews, remember? Again, see, no matter what we teach about prayer, this has to still be burning in our spirit. God's not a man that he should lie. He said he would never leave us. He's never left us. If we feel a long ways from God, like some people say, remember, if we feel afar, if we feel like 
where God's a long ways off, you have to ask yourself the question, who moved, remember? <laughs> because God doesn't move. God's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's in this room. He's in our spirit, isn't he? I mean, by his spirit, he's come to live within our spirit. That's why three times, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 6, it speaks to that truth about know you not that you're the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. The spirit of God dwells in every single one of us. So regardless, even though God reminds Joshua, he said, I'm going to be with you. So the issue is that God is with every one of us. I'm going to be with you. And he said here, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life because I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. Now again, we have to understand that this is the truth for us today, every one of us. It isn't a matter of just Moses or Joshua. He's not only with them today, remember, he's in us. Hallelujah. But in the midst of this, like I said, even so, there's this something else that man had to do, that Joshua had to do, so that the revelation of these things uh, would just be walked out. And that's when he gets to verse 8, and he says this familiar verse. He says, Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. He said, but you're going to need to meditate on it day and night so that you may observe to do, so that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then, and only then, for then will you make your way prosperous. You will. You will. For then... You will make your way prosperous and you will deal wisely. You shall deal wisely and you shall have good success. Hallelujah. Now, all in the midst of this, he says that. But now, what's that got to do with deciding what you want from your father? It's because when you come to God, you need to have been meditating in the word of God to the point that you have some knowledge of basically just what his will is. So that when you come, you make a decision. Uh, everything in life has to do with decisions. You know, Deuteronomy 30, 19 is a verse where God said, I've called heaven and earth to record this day before you that I've set before you life and death, remember, blessing and cursing. He said, therefore, choose life so that thou and thy seed may live. And therein is set out a pattern for us. The fact that, again, what you study in a Bible college, they'll teach you that man has been created as a free moral agent. In other words, Mankind has the freedom to make their own choices because God didn't want robots to serve him. He could have, you know, he could have, angels are subservient to God in all ways. They, you know, the, all those heavenly hosts, they simply obey God. They hearken unto the commands of God and do so. But we've been given free will. That's why we're in the same God class. That freaks out a lot of people when you say that. But we're in the God class of being because we have a free will. We can create but he said here, he said that you need to, Joshua, you're still going to need to meditate. He said, this book of the law, you're going to have to keep it in your mouth. I said, I'm going to be with you. But he said, this book of the law, you're going to have to keep my words in your mouth. He said, you're going to have to meditate on these things. Think on these things. Think upon all my word. He said, because then, he said, you'll become a doer of them. See, if you keep your mind full of this stuff... The natural outworking of keeping your mind full of the things of God is as you'll start doing the things of God. And he said that you would be a meditator so that you might observe to do. And God said that the natural sequential order of doing the mind of Christ, doing the wisdom of God, obeying the commandments of God is that you would 
prosper in life, you would deal wisely and you'd begin to succeed in your life. Now, that's still a promise to God, promise of God today. So meditation is part of the issue. Meditation, not like they do in the Eastern religions, but it simply means to consider, to think on. In fact, the actual Hebrew word for meditate, remember, is the word that speaks of what a cow does when it chews up straw. Uh, you know, they call it its cud. It chews and chews and chews and swallows it, and then it brings it back up again and chews it some more, goes down, then it brings it back up again. That's what the word meditate literally means. It means to chew and swallow and bring back up, chew some more, swallow, bring back up, chew some more, swallow. Just keep this thing going, just where it's constantly with you. But this is what's going to help you make a decision to actually decide what is it you really want. Now, we're going to get to verses in a little bit about doubt. Like I said, these seven steps to answered prayer, because, of course, we're going to read in a little bit. You have to make a decision. What is it that you're going to call upon the name of the Lord for? And, uh, you know, like write it out, even make a petition before God. In other words, where you say on this day, you know, April 21st or April 20th, whatever day today is, you know, Father, I come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you've made a decision. You write it out and you, this is what I'm praying. This is what I'm, what I'm, what I'm asking you to help me with or asking you to do in my life. That's what the prayer petition is, where you literally bring a petition before the Lord. But you need to make a decision because we're going to get to, like I started to say to these verses about not being double-minded and what happens when you waver. This is why meditation causes you to have clarity of thought. In other words, the idea of meditation is that you'll back confusion away from your life and clarity will come to your life and you'll be far better able to really understand what it is you need in life. There's a big difference, remember, between what you want and what you need. And I think that's something that meditation, the Word of God does too. One of my, you know, one of our very favorite verses, of course, isn't it, is delight yourself in Psalm 37. It says, delight yourself, delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Uh, but again, the word delight there in the Hebrew means to be soft. It's a, it's a word that's used, I forget what the actual Hebrew word is, but it's a word that's used when people do pottery. And the word delight means to be soft and malleable, soft and workable in the hands of God. And it says that if we'll allow ourselves, if somehow you'll become a person that just yields to Him uh, by obeying these words and meditating in the things of God, that you'll become somebody that's soft and pliable in the hands of God. And then it says God will begin to give you, God will begin to give you the desires of His heart. In other words, he's not just going to give you what you desire. What it's saying is your desires are going to be from heaven. In other words, God's going to give you. God's going to give you. Do you hear that? God's going to give you the desires of your heart because you're delighting yourself in him. Well, see, that's going to make prayer a whole lot better and a whole lot easier because you won't be asking from a selfish vantage point if you're asking from the desire of God. In other words, but this is why we have to meditate. If you know if the desire of God for your physical healing, uh, it's not going to be a stumbling block for you to ask for God to heal your body because you're going to know that you know that you know that it's the Lord's delight. It's the Lord's heart. He's a good God. He wants you well. He's a good father. He, he looks over his children with great, great care. So delight yourself also in the Lord is another verse. It's not down there, but we can go. But on the outline, then the next one is, is Psalm 37.5, as far as decide what you want from the Lord. Psalm 37.5 says, 
Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So here again, we find this thing. We make a decision. To make a decision means we commit ourselves to something. We actually go ahead and we commit ourselves to this because prayer is a real deal. It's a real business. And sometimes people don't like it when you term it like that, but prayer is the business of the kingdom. This is what God's put in. It's not something that's selfish on our part. God's the one that's released this whole life of prayer and this whole issue. He wants us to come boldly to the throne of grace, doesn't he? Because he wants you to understand that the way has been made open for us to come. He would not want you to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need if he didn't want you to find help in time of need. Now, I want you to turn to another real familiar one. Turn to 1 John chapter 5 in the back of the Bible. Not the, not the Apostle John, but little John, you know, 1 John. James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. Decide what you want from the Father. Really, decide. What is it that you actually want Father to do? I mean, really. You need to get a yellow pad out sometimes. And this is why, when we, you know, when we had the prayer school there, when we were doing all the strategic prayer schools, one of the things I would say over and over again about people before they came to the prayer school or for people, I'd tell them this. If you really want to begin to see or experience a fruitful prayer life, one of the things I had to learn was that I needed to pray. I needed to spend time in prayer before I ever went to prayer. Now, what I mean by that is before I ever began to pray for situations, for the needs of others, I needed to go into prayer just to get before God and really, quite frankly, to be delivered of my own agenda. And this is why I keep using this simple little statement about the difference between uh, understanding that we have a vertical connection that we need to make before we need or for, before we become horizontally effective. Do you hear me? In other words, you, you come to the Lord to worship Him. We enter into His gates. We enter into His gates. We enter into His gates with thanksgiving, not with petition. I love it in the Message Bible, the Message Translation. It says we enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Um, in the Message Bible, it says we come into His gates with the password, thank you. That, I like that. The password, you know, like on a computer, you have to have a password to get in. Well, the password that gets you in is thank you. See, and it's this thankfulness, this thankful heart that you begin to really, really cultivate that allows you to have this audience in the first place. We enter into His gates with thanksgiving and with praise. Hallelujah. So it's a vertical thing first. See, I love you, Father. I praise you, Lord. I I'm dependent upon you, Lord. You're my everything. I don't understand all these things, Lord, but here I am. Here I am again. I mean, that's how it starts. Every day of my life, that's how I start. I, I just try to keep it simple. And I say, Father, here I am with all my stupidity, with my stupid, ugly, black, wicked heart, and all these things that I know aren't right, but here I am because you said I could come. And I just, I come from an attitude, I try to come from an attitude of just humility. No, I mean, because I don't care how super holy we think we are, we still have wickedness in our hearts. Do you know what I mean? But all I know is that's how David did. When you read in the Psalms, you'll see, again, it's so amazing. I think I shared this already too, but I love this truth. It's, it so set me free years ago when I saw David in so many of the Psalms, how the Psalms would start out. David would start out going, oh God, I feel like I'm going to die. The whole world is rotten. Everybody hates me. 
uh, you know, every, all my enemies are after me and I, nobody likes me and I don't really like any of them and I just hate life. I mean, that's how he starts so many of the Psalms. But about in the middle of the Psalms, you know, he starts going, but you know what, where do I have to go? I don't have any place to go. I don't want to go back to that. So, I mean, I'm just going to hang around here with you. Praise God, I've, because you've never left me anyhow. And then, and then by the time he gets to the end of the psalm, he's gone from, from who to hmm to yeah. You know, he's, he goes, it's like this progression. He really does. And it's so because I tell you what I learned from that is I, in the midst of all the need to be in faith and to have right words and stuff, but I, you see, when I was taught that in the beginning, I felt like if I ever opened my mouth and said something wrong before God, he'd leave me. Or, you know, he would stand afar off and not hear me. And I don't know if this terminology is right in England, though I've lived here for 20 years, but what I've discovered is when you first come to God, it's okay to just dump. Do you know what I mean? Just get this out of you. And forgive me for using this word, but some of you just need to vomit. You ever been really sick and you hate it and it's a horrible experience? This is horrible to do in a Bible school, huh? It's well, I'm not going to do it, but I'm, but I'm saying it's a horrible, horrible feeling when you feel sick to your stomach and you have to vomit. But you know how sometimes, I'm sorry, but you know how much better you feel afterwards? Because that stuff is out of you. It's just out of you, that stuff. And there's something about just getting that out of you. And it's like God is this faithful father and he won't say a word, but he'll just sit there like he does with David. Just get it out. Come on, get it out. Pat you on the back. Get it out. Go ahead, burp it up. Burp it up. I know the world's horrible. Yeah, I'm like, you know, the world's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. The whole world is rotten. I know, and that's okay. And then you finally get to the point, and you kind of get like that. And if you kind of remember, and he's got his arms around you, and slowly but surely you quit sniveling. You just kind of put your head on his shoulder, and you just kind of sit there, and you go, uh, but, you know, and then you get quiet for a while because there's nothing to say. But then after a while, you know, he'll do what? What does he do? I mean, he'll start whispering to you. You know how much I love you, don't you? You know that you're my son. You know I'm never going to leave. <coughs> and you begin to get all this affirmation. And then pretty soon you're starting to feel better about yourself. And you're kind of then you're ready to go back and play. You know what I mean? It's like this kid thing. And it's just if somehow you can let it be that simple. And that's where, and to me, that was a breakthrough for me many, many, many years ago because like I said, I, would, I had been taught prayer, and it's not that I meant to be to receive it legalistically, but we do receive it legalistically. Well, you have to do this. Let's pray. Okay, now, point one is this, like and we're going through seven points to prayer. But somehow, someway, like I said, above all, we said in the very first hour, you know, we can go through all these teachings. Like I said, I can go through all kinds of manners of different types of prayer. But ultimately, you have to have this at work in your spirit that prayer is coming to Dad. And it's okay to dump. It's okay to get this stuff out of you. But it's not okay to stay in that stage. It's, you know, he wants you to get it out so that you can come to a place of resolve and then you can come to a place of victory where you begin to go, hallelujah, praise God, God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? I refuse to be cast down or broken down soul. Why art thou cast down? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. I will bless His holy name. In other words, you go from this place of abject weakness to this place of heavenly strength. And that's what prayer winds up doing for your life. And see, you can go through that. That's why I love prayer. It's not something I have to be prompted to do. And maybe it's because I feel so horribly weak so often. 
But that's okay because I, that sense of horrible weakness is what makes me run to a God that's got incredible strength. You know what I mean? But I've had to learn, it's like Paul said, I glory in my weakness. He said, I rather glory in my infirmity, in my infirmities that the strength of God might be manifested in me. And then, man, to me, that is a deep revelation to really capture the spirit of what he's saying there, what Paul said. And that's what you have to do is catch the spirit of that. See, we are all flesh. None of you in here are super saints. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, you know, some of you may be, but I doubt it. We're all just flesh and blood. We, are, we feel strong at times. We feel weak at times. But we need to understand this. God is a very present help in time of trouble. Now then, just back to this whole point, like I said, it's okay, but we, we, need, we need to come to this point that we decide what is it we want, and then we commit ourselves to the Lord. But here in 1 John chapter 5, uh, and this is the thing, this is what meditation does, it's, and it's also this. You see, remember how I always quote in the other classes, if any of you that heard me speak, I haven't shared on this part yet, but I mean, for the sake of the course, I, I need to say this now. The other issue of faith is that Remember that we make this statement about no matter what the topic is, whether it's healing, whether it's prayer, faith begins where the will of God is known. You know, that's a statement that you need to have tattooed on your forehead. You cannot have faith towards God if you doubt what His will is, can you? I mean, think about it in a person. If, 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 you, if I tell you, if I say to you, I can, I'm going to give you two million pounds tomorrow, well, that may excite you for a moment, but if you don't know I'm able, you're not going to have a lot of faith towards it. You know what I mean? Now, if my name is J. Paul Getty and I said it, it would mean more to you. And we'll get to something that's along that later. But this is why, again, you see, the meditation in the Word of God begins to show you, well, this is what God's like. This is what His will is. So that's why, that's why I, can easy, I, can, I can make a decision quite easy now about what to pray for because I meditate in the Word for years long enough that I pretty well know in a lot of areas what the will of God is. And understand this too, there are a lot of gray areas, I know that. Uh, in other words, like, you know, well, should I buy that car, this car? You know what you learn as you walk in this prayer life? You learn, if, if you'll be obedient to the things that you know are the will of God, it's amazing how the things that are the variables of the unknown, the unknown will of God becomes far more clear. I don't know how to say that. Uh, instead of trying to walk in all in some new revelation, if you'll just be faithful with what is clearly the will of God, those things that you concern yourself about become much easier to discern later. Now, I'm not probably saying that real well, but we'll, if you forgive me, if you'll be patient with me, we'll get to some stuff a little bit later. Now let's look at 1 John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. And the Apostle John said, He who possesses the Son has that life. He who does not possess the Son of God does not have that life. I write this to you who believe on the name of the Son of God and the peculiar services and blessings conferred by Him on men, so that you may know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have life. Praise God. I wish every one of you in this room actually had absolute settled knowledge that you already have eternal life right now. That's what God wants every one of you to know. And see, I'm trying to be careful not to get off on something else now, but to know, to lay hold on eternal life really, really, really deals with a lot of fear in your life. What I'm trying to spit out is just this. When you actually 
when the revelation does strike you that you have eternal life, you don't get so shook up about this temporal life. You understand? That's why Paul said things like, if you kill me, you do me a favor because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it's easy to say, but I'm telling you, this is why some of the greatest men and women of God that have ever lived, you see, you have to understand, they had that at work. It was such a deep reality to them that to give up something in the world meant little or nothing to them. Paul put it this way, neither do I count my life dear. It's like Jackie uh, Pullinger that everybody in this nation so esteems and this incredible woman of God, I think that was, she was an assurance, I've been so long now, a very, very, very successful, you know, woman in business here in this land. And everybody, and she's very, very intelligent, degrees from different universities. And she, as a woman, as a single woman, just ups, leaves, and goes to the, to the walled city in China and starts ministering to heroin addicts and prostitutes in this horrific, evil, nasty, bad place, one of the worst places in the world. And all the people and people over here said, you're insane. You're a woman, first of all. You're a single woman. And you're going, you know, you're, you're sick. What on earth is wrong with you? You're successful. You have a beautiful home. You've got the finances that anybody would ever want. And you're leaving all this and you're going someplace to minister to these people that have nothing and you're putting your very life in danger. But see, to her, it wasn't a big decision because she somehow had laid hold on eternal life. She saw. And see this, I don't know how else to put it. You see, prayer becomes, prayer is so, it's so much more than formulas. This is why I, I bounce back and forth when I teach this stuff because it's difficult. There are formulae in teaching of prayer because it's in the book, so you have to show it. But this is why I say over and over again, I don't want people to be taught the formula of prayer before they've got the heart that needs to be behind prayer. And see, the heart is just this something that happens in you because you've been hanging around God and uh, suddenly His life strikes your life and something explodes in you. And it's not a matter, like I said, of working a formula to make it work. It's the knowledge that God is your Father. I have some things to do and Lord, I can't do it on my own. So I need, you to, I need you to come in the middle of this thing. I need your help with this. If it's healing, you have to, if you're committed to ministry, you realize, Lord, I need to be well to preach. You know what I mean? And Lord, I, if I, it's just the same thing. If it's money, it is. It's just the Lord to preach. I need to have the finances to go there or whatever. In other words, you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for the reason you've got breath in your lungs. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? So when John says this here, he said, I'm writing these things to you, you that believe, so that you may know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have this life. You've got eternal life. If you're born again, you have eternal life. When your heart beats its last beat, your physical blood pump in this body of yours, if you've believed on the name of God, if you've believed on His Son, Jesus Christ, when your heart beats its last beat is not when life stops. Hallelujah. It's when the real life is going to begin. It's when the eternity that has been promised us is going to begin. And then John goes straight on and he makes these two wonderful, wonderful, this is two of the most, you know, probably important verses about prayer in Scripture. He said, and this is the confidence. 
He said, and this is the confidence that we have, the assurance, the privilege of boldness. Do you hear that phrase? The privilege of boldness. This is the privilege of boldness which we have in Him. We are sure. Now, this is a profound statement in the Amplified, but this is what it says in the Greek. We are sure that if we ask anything, if we make any request according to His will, in agreement with His own plan, that He, number one, He listens to and He hears us because we're asking about things that we know are His will, that we know are according to His plan. And then verse 15 says, And if since we positively know that He listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have, that we have granted us as our present possessions the requests made of Him. Hallelujah. Those are good verses. <laughs> Somebody say yes. yes. I just want to make sure you're awake again. If you know that if you ask anything according to His will, listen to me, look up at me. Let's just say it again. If you ask anything according to His will, what can you know? What do you know? If you, if you know you're asking according to His will, what's the verse say? What's verse 14 say that you can know? You know that He hears us. You know that He hears you. And then what's the next verse? Sorry. And if you know that He hears you in the first place, what else does it say? It says that you can also know with settled, absolute confidence that you will have granted you as your present possessions in the now, the request that you've made of Him. So how important is it? How important is it to really know, have it settled, have it decided, I know what the will of God is here. You hear me? Whether it's healing, whether it's finances, whether it's you having a peaceful life, having a good relationship, you get to the place where you're persuaded beyond doubt. You get way out there beyond doubt. In other words, you get to a place where these teachings aren't teachings that are just filling your brain, but they're truths that have been cut into your heart. Like scripture says, these things are cut into your spirit. Like the scars I have in my hand, the scars I have in my body, they've been cut into me. I can't take them off. You know what I mean? I can't change I can change my mind, but I can't change a scar because it's there. Well, <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, so decide what you want. Step number two, then study and see these are all very similar, but study the scriptures that promise the answer to your given situation. Now, this again is so simple, but so many people don't do it. If it's finances, if it's healing, it's relationships. You need to make, I used to get my yellow legal pads out and I would write all kind, every verse. You ought to see my wife. My wife has, we still have filing cabinets full. Julie is one of these persons that I don't care what part of the human body, for example, she has file upon file. Every verse in the Bible that has to do with bones, nerves, teeth, because she had her teeth really, really, you know, she got in a very bad car accident. Somebody was driving when she was a young girl. A lot of her teeth were knocked down. She's had horrific pain in her teeth for much of her life. And, uh, and so she has a whole, 
all these scriptures about teeth. She has scriptures about blood. She has scriptures about, I mean, she's got tons and tons and tons of scriptures that have to do with just about every area of the body, plus every marriage, children, makes no difference. My wife's got them, trust me. <laughs> she's got, I have to move the filing cabinets from house to house over, over the last 20 some years. And I said, please get rid of these things, do something with them. But study the scriptures. You see why? Why do we study the scriptures that promise the things that we want, that we have, that we want? Because of Romans 10, 17, because it says, because faith comes by hearing. Again, it's such a simple verse. Don't lose the strength of it because faith comes by hearing. And remember in the Greek, it doesn't say faith cometh by having heard. Do you hear that? It doesn't say faith comes by having heard once. The Greek word there speaks of a reci reciprocity, a continuance. Faith, what it says is faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And hearing comes by the rhema of God, by the word of God. So as you continue to hear over and over again, you see, this is why it doesn't take, it's not sitting in a classroom one time that causes this to become something that you have faith in. It's you making the decision to meditate on these things day and night. And it's you making the decision to study the scriptures that promise the answer to your given situation. Remember the word of God that shows you the will of God. Remember, it is the word of God that shows you the will of God. Your word is your will in a matter. Know what the word of God says, not just what you think it says. Now, the reason I have Genesis 3.1 there... Genesis 2, 16 and 17 is because, again, remember, that records the very first written words of Satan. I did this course years ago called Half God Said. It's called the Law of First Mention when you go to a four-year, six-year Bible college. It's where the very first recorded words of Satan or Lucifer at the time were those three words. When he comes to Adam and Eve and he comes to Eve and he says, Half God said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden. And Eve misanswers him by saying, The Lord said we may not eat of any tree of the garden, neither shall we touch it. But in Genesis 2, he said nothing about touching it. And I don't want to go through the whole teaching, but the point of it is the root of all deceptions, if you hear that, because it's the law first mentioned, the root of all deception is found in how Lucifer the very first time approaches mankind. Hath God said. He challenges your knowledge. You hear me? Do you really? It challenges your knowledge of what God has said. So, and this is why you need to know what God has said, not just think this is what he said. Because if your heart, we'll get there later too, that other verse on prayer, if your heart condemns you, and what that translates into, in other words, if you lack confidence in your heart, if your heart condemns you, it says you will not have confidence towards God. You will not have confidence towards God. And so you'll be going at this religiously, but without any potency. And see, we want to be strong in this, in this stuff, not just going through the thing. Genesis 3, 1 is where it said that, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. Step number three. So step number two is to, again, study the scriptures that promise the answer to your given situation. Step number three is to go ahead then and ask. Now, it sounds silly, but <laughs> you do have to ask. And people say, well, why? Because, you know, they'll quote the scripture, but the Bible says God already knows. And it does say, doesn't it? The Bible says 
God already knows what you have need of. For the Father already knows what you have need of. But again, what do you do? Do we argue with this or just understand? He said, even though he already knows. See, again, this is this somehow this principle about covenant that I, you know, we wind up teaching so much. God is in heaven. Man is in earth. Now think about it. Think about it. God's in heaven. Mankind's down here. God knows what you have need of already. Doesn't he? Right? We know that. But he, why, and, and then people say, well, if he's a good God, then why doesn't he just do it? But see, this is what we don't understand. We don't understand that the fall of man caused, remember, the leasehold of earth to be turned over to Satan. Because in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, remember, it says that the God of this world, speaking of Satan, it says right there, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of people so that they could not see the glorious gospel of Christ. So again, there's this blockage in this heavenly area. There's this blockage up here. But Satan is the God of this world. Now, we've been redeemed. We that are born again have been redeemed from the curse of the law. But you see, the curse of the law is still active in planet Earth. But we've been redeemed from its effects. But see, this is why all the other teachings get important. But the redeemed of the Lord have to say so. The redeemed of the Lord have to learn how to exercise their authority. The redeemed of the Lord have to understand that just like Jesus resisted the devil, we have to resist the devil. We have to learn how to submit ourselves to the things of God and resist the devil so that he might flee from us. He won't just flee just because we tell him to flee. We have to submit to the principles of God. That's why Matthew 6, again, one of the most familiar scriptures in the Bible is, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things that the Gentiles seek for will be added unto you also. Seek ye first the kingdom. And again, what that means is, find out how the kingdom operates. Find out how the kingdom operates, and then everything that you have need of will be added unto you. In other words, because hopefully, once you find out how it operates, you'll begin to cooperate with it. So here's God in heaven. He knows everything you have need of. Here's you down on earth and you have needs. But the way it happens is somebody has to understand that we have to call upon him, come to him in faith and ask him so that what he wants to do all along can actually be done for us. Because again, he has lost technically, legally speaking, God is not in control of the world. Now, you have to be careful when you say that because everybody freaks out because they start talking about, well, but God's sovereign. But again, Satan is the God. It says Satan is the God of this world. He's not God, but he's got, he, because of man's fall, this earth is still under the curse. So we still have to come to God. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. We come to God now through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, remember, in the Old Testament, God, the only way God could get to man was through the blood covenant with Abraham. And Abraham, God said, I'll be your God. Abraham, he said, and you'll be my man. And God's man, Abraham, had to come to God through the covenant. This is the covenant. Had to come through God, to God through the covenant. Today, Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's the blood of the, he's the lamb of the new covenant. And the way we get to God today is we have to come through Jesus. But we have to go through Jesus in prayer. For what God has laid up for us in heaven to ever come to us here on earth. So you need to ask. So I said all that to say, you actually need to ask. 
Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Now in the Amplified Bible it says, Ask and keep on asking. And it means to pursue. Doesn't mean vain repetition. We're going to read that in a minute. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. That's a promise. In Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, But when you pray, but when you pray, do not use vain repetition. Don't use, just use empty repetitions. And we'll talk about this at another point, too, because there's much more to speak about this matter. But he said, Don't just use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And I, I, let me just throw this in at the moment, at least. Prayer is not a matter of how loud you get. Prayer is not a matter of how long you are. Prayer is a matter of whether or not you're connected to heaven. You hear me? And that's why I always quote this old Jewish maxim that I found in Adam Clark's commentary. The prayers of the righteous are short. I love that. See, sometimes we pray long, long, long because we think God's dull of hearing. Think about it. You know, well, if, you know, another, another four hours. But two minutes in faith is more powerful than two hours in unbelief. Do you know what I mean? Anyhow, be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. So seven steps to answered prayer. The first three steps are, number one, decide what you want from your Father. Number two, study the scriptures that promise the answer to your given situation. Number three, then ask the Father for the things you desire. Now, we're going to have to stop there because we're done with the first hour. Then we'll start on lesson three in the next hour. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ for helping us understand how to come to you as children. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.